Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Take out your Bible this morning and turn to Judges chapter 6. We'll see how long this takes. Turn to the book of Judges chapter 6. Try to do it without looking like you don't know where you're going. Yeah. Everybody, some people jumping up real quick like they got it. That's Matthew. That's not Judges. Yeah, just. Yeah. Lift your Bible in the air. Stay along with me. The rest of you can catch up when you can. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. I'm going to stop there a minute. We say this every week. But I don't want you to just ramble it off and not mean it. I want to go back. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Aberizite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God, I pray for a special anointing on your word today. God, there are people here that need to hear this. There are people watching on TV or on the internet or listening on the radio that need to hear this. They're at a nowhere place in their life. They've given up hope of anything ever changing or getting better. They've listened to the lies of the enemy, and they've conformed to what he's told them they are. But God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will speak to them and give them your identity. God, that they will understand who they are in Christ Jesus. Rise above their circumstances. Rise above uh, the enemies. Rise above the threats. And God, succeed because they are a mighty warrior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you truly believe that God has big plans for your life? Did, Did you just do that because I did this? I mean, is that why you did it? You see, that's the problem with many of us. We really don't believe that God has big plans for life. And the reason that we don't believe that God has big plans for us is because we have no idea just how big and how powerful our God is. And we're not convinced that our great and powerful God is intricately involved in every detail of our life. We are so disconnected from our Creator that we can't sense God's hand in our life. We think that where we are in life or what we're going through in life is the result of bad luck or poor circumstances or just our own fault. 
We don't sense the hand of God on us. We're in a bad place. Our life isn't very good. We're failing and we see no way out. So we assume that our creator is absent. God always leaves his divine signature on his work. He always leaves irrefutable evidence that he's been on the job. Whenever our creator is involved, he always leaves unmistakable confirmation that it was him and only him and not anyone else. I want you to think about this. Every miracle recorded in the Bible began with an impossible problem. Have you ever considered that? Every miracle began with an impossible problem, an uncontrollable situation, and insurmountable odds. That was intentional on God's part. If you don't have a vision that is greater than your own resources, then you're not thinking big enough. If you don't step out in faith, then you're not reaching far enough. And if you're convinced that your life is at a dead end with no way out, then you're not looking high enough. What you're dealing with right now might seem impossible, but it's no match for God who has a wondrous plan for your life. But you don't believe me, do you? You don't be, you nod your head yes, but inside you're going no. You don't really believe that. Our great and sovereign God refuses to be confused with anyone else. He won't share the credit or the glory. So when God does a work, he'll do it in such a way that everyone who witnesses will say, that had to be God. It couldn't have been anyone else. It couldn't have happened any other way because only God could do something like that. Maybe there's some of you who are uh, people that are pointing their finger at you right now. You've been saved you repented of your sins. You, you have sacrificed your old nature on the cross, buried it in the graveyard, and God has raised you to new life. You're no longer the man or woman that you used to be. You don't go to the places you used to go to. You don't do the stupid things that you used to do because you are a different person now. You are a new creation. You've stopped failing as a husband or a wife. You, you've become a godly father or mother. Your sin has been purged, the devil has been evicted, and Jesus is now at the center of your home. Your priorities are now straight because your old nature is dead and you're living for Jesus. Who am I talking about? Who am I talking about? Who here is no longer the man or the woman that you used to be? Who, who here is somebody new in Christ Jesus? But there's some people out there who knew the old you. There's some characters who used to get in trouble with you. There are some so-called friends who used to help sober you up because they were the ones that got you drunk. There are some people out there who, who used to bail you out and provide you with an alibi who are looking at you right now in utter disbelief. And they're scratching their head and saying, that had to be God. That's something to shout about right there. That had to be God. Who's looking at you today saying that had to be God? That had to be God. They knew you before, but they don't recognize the new you. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. Only God can do that. There's a song that we used to sing around here that said, I went into the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Remember that song? That's a good song. The devil doesn't care if we sing it because he knows that most of us are lying. We sing I Surrender All when every Sunday morning we rob God of his tithe. 
We say, I live for him who died for me when we're still living for ourselves. Satan knows that you've never marched into the enemy's camp. He knows that you've never taken back anything that he's stolen from you. And he really doesn't care if you sing so long as you do nothing about it. Think about your life. Think about the things that you've lost. Think about what you used to have that you don't have anymore. You got careless. You left a door unlocked. You left a window open. You gave the devil an opportunity to enter your life, and he has taken from you valuable things. Maybe he's taken your husband or your wife. Maybe he's taken your children. Maybe he's taken your job or emptied your bank account. Maybe he's taken your health. You let down your guard, and you gave Satan an opportunity, and he took advantage of it. He's robbed you. He has stolen from you the most valuable things in your life, and he's left you empty and alone. But I tell you this morning, it's time to get it all back. Who's with me? It's time to get it all back. It's time that we, as children of God, march into the enemy's camp and take back what he has stolen from you. Turn to somebody to your left or your right and tell them, I'm getting it back. That was poor. That was pitifully poor. You see, that's the problem with America. The problem with America is we're being bulldozed over. We're having things taken away from us. We're having our lives shut down because nobody has the guts to stand up and say, I'm not doing it. Nobody has the guts to stand up. And the reason that they don't is because the church don't have enough guts to do it. It starts here. It starts here. It starts with you and I as born-again children of God walking into the enemy's camp and taking back the stuff that we've allowed him to steal away. But maybe that's not your problem. Some of you are trying real hard to live righteously. You're giving it your all, but you're still in a struggle. It is not easy being a Christian in this world. Living for God today is not for wimps. You're a child of God. Your past has been forgiven, and you don't ever want to go back to your old life, but you're in a struggle right now, and you're not moving forward. You've been saved, but you're stuck. You've stepped out of your grave. Jesus has brought you from death to life, but you're making no progress. Your faith isn't growing. Your life isn't producing the fruits that God expects from you, and you're stuck. The things that you don't have that you know you should have. There are problems that you're dealing with that you shouldn't have to be dealing with. There are inadequacies and weaknesses in you that you've been fighting, but you seem to be losing the battle, and you're stuck. You've come to accept it as just the way it is. There are promises of God that you're doing without because you've allowed the enemy to talk you out of them. There's work in your life that's undone. There's still in you wasted potential and unused energy and misused ability, but you're stuck, and you don't know how to fix it. You know deep down in your heart of hearts that you're not all that you should be or all that you could be. You've been listening to the devil's lies and you've been fearing his threats and it's caused you to stop in your tracks. You're stuck. Satan has threatened you. And he's bullied you and he's stolen from you the things that you love. And now you're living in fear and doubt. You're always backing up. You're always compromising and always surrendering more ground. And you're making no progress. You're stuck. You have a bad attitude. And you're upset and angry because of where you are. 
You're upset about what's going on in your life and angry because of it. You know that you can't go back to where you were, but you're not progressing forward to where you need to be. So instead of living in victory, you become a victim. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? I'm here to tell you today, that's not how God made you. God created you in his own image and after his own likeness. Nothing else on God's green earth can claim that. I don't care what the evolutionists say. They want to come from a monkey, more power to them. You've been created in the image and likeness of God himself. He designed you to resemble himself. When the creator looks at you, he wants to see the reflection of himself. God didn't create you to be a loser. He didn't design you to be a patsy or a punching bag. You're a child of the living God and a soldier in God's army. You're a member of a well-oiled fighting machine that has never nor will ever lose a battle. God hasn't ordered you to run or to hide. He hasn't taught you how to retreat or surrender, but he's commissioned you to stand your ground, to stare the enemy in the face, and to charge the gates of hell. God has commissioned you to go and take back what the enemy has stolen from you. In 1 Samuel 30, while David and his warriors were out on a military mission, the Bible tells us that the Amalekites launched a sneak attack on David's city. And they took prisoner the women and all who were in the camp. When David and his men returned, they found that the city had been destroyed by fire and that their wives and their sons and daughters had been taken captive. And the Bible says that they wept until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. While you were out serving the Lord, the enemy sneaked into your home and he's stolen away the people that you love and he's destroyed the things that are most precious to you. Your heart is broken, your spirit is broken. You wept until there are no more tears. The Bible says that each one was bitter in his spirit. Maybe that's where you are. You're bitter in your spirit. You think that you've been treated unfairly. You think that God has failed you and that he's abandoned you and you're sulking in this pool of anger and self-pity. You hate what has happened to you and you don't like where you are, but you're stuck. But the Bible says, David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength. If you're going to find something, you have to go looking for it. God isn't just going to throw it out a window of heaven and hit you in the head with it. you got to go looking for it, and David knew where to look. David found strength in the Lord his God. David prayed to God for strength and direction, and God gave him what he asked for. Are you listening? Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Find your joy, and you'll get your strength back. Some of you have no strength because you've lost your joy. Serving God has become boring and a nuisance to you because you've lost your joy. And now you're trying all kinds of things to make yourself happy, but they're not working. At best, they're just temporary fixes because your joy can only be found in the Lord. You spend all the money you want, go to every shopping mall that they've ever built, and it ain't going to make you happy. David said in 1 Chronicles 16, 27, strength and joy are in his place. He knew where to find it. You know where to find it. If you're looking for your joy, you're not going to find it anywhere down here because our joy is in things that are eternal. Our joy can only be found in his place. David found strength in the Lord, and then he rose up and he led his men to take back what the enemy had stolen. The Bible says that David recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken. Nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, everything else that had been stolen was taken back. David got it 
all. You don't have to leave anything behind. You don't have to leave anybody behind. You don't have to be satisfied with just getting a piece of this and a piece of that. Seek the Lord while he might be found. Find your joy, and God will give you the strength to take back everything that you've lost. Anybody believe this? Am I wasting my breath? Am I wasting my breath? Church, Satan is going to burn in hell someday because God said so. But our job is to torment him until he gets there. Make the devil worry about you for a while. I, I, want, I want the devil to get so upset. When I get out of bed in the morning, I want him to say to the rest of the demons, he's up. He's awake. Get ready. He's awake. Many of God's children have allowed the devil to torment them. They've permitted the enemy to enter their life. They've opened doors for him to enter their home. They've created avenues for him to enter their marriage. They give him access to their children. They've given him opportunity to steal their health and their resources. The way of the world has become the way of the church. You can't turn on the 6 o'clock news without hearing somebody complain. They're marching, they're having a sit-in, a boycott, or a protest because of something that they don't like. There's a mess, but instead of cleaning up the mess, their actions turn the mess into a bigger mess. There are many things wrong in our world today, but instead of resolving our problems and cleaning up our messes, we have used it as an opportunity to plunder or to steal or to kill the innocent and the uninvolved. Just one time, I would like to see somebody actually doing something to clean up the mess. I'd like to see a politician stop making promises and roll up their sleeves and get out into the mess and start cleaning it up. I'd like to see protesters stop wasting their time chanting and marching and start doing something to resolve the situation. I'd like to see pastors stop complaining about how bad things are and giving sermons on social reform. I'd like to see church people stop whining about how bad things are and what they don't like and get involved in fighting sin and saving the lost and take back what the enemy has stolen. Don't get any better than this, so you're going to applaud. You might as well do it now. But the way of the world has become the way of God's people. Our life isn't as it should be. We've left the infallible instruction of God's Word. We've forsaken our God-given responsibilities. We tell everybody that we're a Christian, but we resemble the world more than we resemble Jesus. Our lives are a mess. But instead of dealing with our mess, like the world, we create a bigger mess. We protest. We complain that God doesn't love us. We complain that he isn't as good as his promises and that his word isn't true. We're quick to tell everybody uh, what's wrong. We stop going to church. We stop reading our Bible. We don't feel like praying. We blow up on people around us. We tear down those who are living right. We find fault with the church and we get angry at the pastor because we're stuck in our mess. I think we've had enough protests, don't you? I think we've done enough marching. I think we've done enough sit-ins and set-outs and kneel-downs. I think we've had enough demonstrations. I think what we need today is a manifestation of God's power that will transform us into godly men and women, holy and sanctified and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can change our church and change our family and change our world. It's time to take back what the enemy's stolen. But it has to be more than shouting amen on Sunday morning. It has to be more than clapping your hands during worship like you're, you're at some religious pep rally. Too many Christians get all fired up at church, but then they walk out of the doors into the battleground and they do nothing about it. It has to be more than hype. 
but it has to be a heartfelt knowledge of God's word. There has to be a deep conviction in our spirit. And such a commitment to what God has commanded that we won't turn to the left or the right. We won't stop and we won't retreat. Come hell or high water, we will not surrender, but we'll march into the enemy's cap and take back everything he's stolen away. Who wants to get it all back? Who wants to get it all back? I do. If we're going to succeed in our mission, we have to come to understand who we are and who God has called us to be. Too many of God's people have been mislabeled. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Many people in the church have come from a difficult background. We're not here in God's church on Sunday morning because we have it all together. We're here because we want to put it all together. Some of you have come from a difficult background. I doubt that there's anybody here today who can say that their parents' names were Ozzie and Harriet or Ward and June or Mr. and Mrs. C., I'd have given you more up-to-date names, but I couldn't think of a family on TV today that has it all together. Very few of you were raised in a perfect home where God and family were first priority. Many of you were raised in more dysfunction than function. The trouble is, you didn't know it. For you, abnormal was normal. But now that you've been saved, you're beginning to understand that what you learned in your past isn't the way God says it should be. What you knew about marriage and family isn't what God says it should be. What you knew about finances isn't what God said it should be. And most importantly, what you thought you knew about yourself isn't what God has spoken. You really don't understand it when we say, this is my Bible, it's God's infallible word, and I am who it says I am, I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. You don't understand it because you've only known limitations and failure. You don't understand it because you have been misprogrammed and misidentified. You've had a difficult past, and you were raised in dysfunction. God has big plans for your life. God created you with a divine purpose, and you need to fulfill that purpose. But sometimes, sometimes the place where we're standing and the challenges that we're facing seem to have us stuck where we are. And it causes us to doubt God's plan for our life. Maybe you're taking your cues from the wrong people. People can't see your potential. They can see, can't see what's inside of you. They just scan the surface and make a quick judgment and pass you by. People will misread you, and because they misread you, they will misjudge you. They will label you, and then they'll categorize you. They will glance at you and close the door in your face. They'll, they'll back the blackball you, and they'll exclude you because they can't see in you what God sees in you. Stop conforming to somebody else's opinion about you and begin listening to who God is telling you that you are. Maybe you've been convinced that you're a homosexual. They caught you when you were at a vulnerable time in your life, and they persuaded you to become somebody that you're not. Maybe you've been convinced that you have to be violent and angry, that you have no choice but to live dangerously and die young, but this world has been lying to you. So I want you to listen really close to this story. When God found Gideon, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Some of you right now are stuck in your circumstances and you're quickly losing hope that there'll be anything better in your future. You've heard about God's promises. You've heard about God, how God has made you for a special purpose, but here you are. 
You're eking your way through life, one failure after another, and you are discouraged. The trouble is, you're a child of God. You've heard about what God can do, but you're not sure that God even knows where you are. The Bible says that God found Gideon. Bible words are important. God found Gideon. You might not be able to find God, but he knows right where you are, and he's going to come looking for you. When God found Gideon, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon lived during a dark period in Israel's history. It's called the period of the Judges. And the book of Judges says that in those days there was no king in Israel, that every man did that what was right in his own eyes, Judges 21, 25. That sounds a lot like America, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the modern church, doesn't it? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. God was Israel's rightful king. And yet God's people were suffering consequences of God's anger because they had stopped serving him. God's discipline came in the form of an oppressive tribal group known as the Midianites. And along with them, the Amalekites and the other children of the east, they engaged in regular harvest time raids against Israel. Now, what these raiding oppressors didn't take as spoil, they would destroy, leaving no source for sustaining life. And because of what was happening around him, Gideon was hiding in a wine press. He was hiding from the Midianites, and he was threshing out wheat that would sustain both his life and the life of his family. He was in a place that wasn't designed for what he was doing. But what Gideon didn't realize was the threshing floor is where the good grain is separated from the chaff so that it can be made into usable flour. The threshing floor is where what is good and usable is separated from what is bad and unnecessary. It was a menial job, and it was hard labor, but to make matters worse, Gideon had to do it in a place that wasn't designed for the task. Things couldn't get much worse. In the Word of God, the threshing floors have come into prominence because of the divine events that occurred on them. Joseph, with his kinsmen and Egyptian followers, laid for seven days at the threshing floor of Atad to lame it over the death of his father Jacob. Uzziah died near the threshing floor of Nacon for touching the Ark of the Covenant. Ruth revealed herself to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, on his threshing floor. In 1 Chronicles 21, David purchased a threshing floor from Ornan. Ornan told David that he would donate it to him free of charge, but David insisted that he pay the full price. You see, David understood that he was standing on the ground of sifting. And he was determined that he would take, wouldn't take the easy way out. He was determined that he would do what was right in the eyes of God, regardless of the price he had to pay. Too often we want the easy way or the cheap way. We don't want to pay the full price or endure the process of the threshing floor. But God sees the future of our threshing floors. God, who knows all things, has already seen our future, and he has a perfect plan that includes in it the threshing floors of our life. You might not see it or understand it right now, but the threshing floor that you're standing on today is the foundation of what God is going to do with you tomorrow. Listen to this. The Word of God says in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1, Then Solomon, David's son, began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David his father in the place David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. 
The temple that Solomon built was built upon the site of the threshing floor that was purchased in full by his father David. God knew that. God doesn't waste our pain. Only God knows why you're standing on the ground you're on today. But there's something that you can do from where you are that is vital to God's plan for tomorrow. Maybe instead of complaining and worrying, you should do like David did and build an altar to the Lord and sanctify your threshing floor. God found Gideon on the threshing floor. God knew where Gideon was all along. And he had a divine plan for his life. And it was there on the threshing floor that God sent an angel to him. And the angel told him, God has anointed you a mighty warrior. He was looking up from the bottom of the social ladder. But God called him a mighty warrior. He was enduring hardship with the odds pitted against him, fearing the enemy. But it was there on the threshing floor that God anointed him a mighty warrior. He had never fought in a battle. But God called him a mighty warrior. You aren't anybody until God tells you who you are. And once God tells you who you are, you aren't anybody else. I was 15 years old when God called me to preach. I've gone to college where they tried to convince me to become a school teacher. They said, you'll make better money. They were right. I've cut meat in the grocery store. I've worked in a Christian school. I, I've been an engineer at a factory, but God called me a preacher when I was 15 years old. While some saw me as the meat cutter, God saw me as the preacher. When some saw me as a school teacher, God saw me as a preacher. When some saw me as an engineer, God still saw me as a preacher. You aren't anybody until God tells you who you are, and once God tells you who you are, you aren't anybody else. Gideon didn't think that he was a mighty man of valor. He didn't think he was a mighty warrior. He didn't look like a mighty man of warrior. And he wasn't acting like one. He was hiding from the enemy and threshing wheat on the floor of a wine press. Where he was at that moment in his life didn't encourage the gift that was in him. It wasn't a happy place. But it was a place of separation. The threshing floor was where God stripped from Gideon the things that he did not need. God stripped from him his pride and his self-confidence and his own self-worth. God stripped Gideon down so he could build him up. You are who God says you are. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what your family thinks. It doesn't matter what experts have told you. You are who God says you are. The situation that you're enduring right now might not show it. You may not think so. You might not be acting like it. But you are who God says you are because God sees something in you that you've not yet seen in yourself. Gideon was hiding. He was hiding in a wine press until God told him who he was. He was a coward and he was afraid until he understood who he was. Christian, know who you are. There on the threshing floor, Gideon asked God a question. He asked a question that most of us have asked. He said, but if God is with us, then why is this happening? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been struggling on your own threshing floor and wondered the same thing? I like the way that the NIV puts it. NIV puts it this way. It says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He was real polite about it. <laughs> 
The way of the world has become the way of God's people. When we're on the threshing floors of life, our go-to response is to complain about where we are. When we complain, we're challenging God's sovereign authority. When we complain, we're telling God that he's not in total control. We're telling him that he doesn't love us. Gideon spoke out loud what, what he believed in his heart. He said in verse 15, my clan is the weakest in Israel, and I'm the least in my family. He did not have an ego problem. Gideon didn't have an ego problem. He stripped down on the threshing floor. He saw himself as he was, but he didn't yet see himself as God saw him. And Satan was right there to discourage him. Understand this. The devil will always challenge you over what God has called you. The devil will always make sure that there's somebody around who will confirm your inadequacies. Uh, you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. You're, you're not good. Your past is way too bad. The devil will always put somebody in your path to discourage you. You might walk down to the altar of the church and give your life to God. But before you hit the exit door, the devil is going to challenge what God has done in your life. But understand this. Anytime that Satan is attacking you, Anytime that he's attacking your dream or your calling or your mission, he's attacking what God has seen in you. And the devil will not waste his time attacking an idle threat. If Satan is attacking you and your calling, it is a surefire sign that your calling is real and you're a threat to his program. God said, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. So in chapter 7, verse 13, the Bible says, Gideon hoping to get a look at what he was up against, sneaked down to the enemy's camp at midnight. I love this part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story. It's not what people say about you on the street that matters. It's what they whisper about you when nobody else is around. Gideon went to the enemy's camp at midnight. And he just happened to overhear what they were saying about him. When he got there, there were two men who were still awake. One of them had had a nightmare about Gideon, and the other guy was trying to help him calm his nerves. God wants me to tell you something this morning. The wrong crowd has been worrying. We like to worry. We, we worry about our checkbook. We worry about our health. We worry about what the doctor said or what he might say. We worry about our job and our, the economy. We worry about our enemies. We worry about our enemies who used to be our friends. We get all bent out of shape about the gossips and the liars. But I want you to know that the enemy will do what the enemy will do, but God is still on his throne. The doctor might say, I've done all I can do, but God's still on his throne. Your boss might say, you're finished here, but God's still on the throne. Your husband or wife might have walked out, but God is still on his throne. The threshing process may have you worn out, but God is still on his throne. The worst nightmare that the devil can have is for you to discover who you are in Christ Jesus. The devil's worst nightmare, the one that will keep him up at night drinking black coffee and watching the late, late show and whining to his demons who can't sleep either, is that you're going to wake up someday and you're going to believe that you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. You're going to believe that you understand the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You, you'll learn that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. You'll know that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and it scares the devil to death. The one thing that will make old Slewfoot shake in his pointy shoes is when you finally realize that you are who God says you are. You have what God says you have, and you can do what God says you can do. If God is declaring something in your future, be persistent about it. No matter what you're facing right now, don't give up on your calling because one day it will be just as God says it shall be. 
I'm convinced that the most difficult task God has is getting us to believe that we will be someone significant in his kingdom. God sees in you what you're yet to see in yourself. Your life might be rough right now. The enemy might have stolen from you, and you think that you're helpless against his attacks. But you're just on your threshing floor. Let me remind you again. You're a mighty warrior. You are who God says you are. You have what he says you have, and you can do what he says you can do. If you believe what God says said about you, then rise up from your circumstances and obey God's command. And you're going to soon march into the enemy's camp. And you'll be able to take back absolutely everything that he has stolen from you. Who believes the word of God today? Who believes it? Father, I thank you today for your word and God, the encouragement from it that we receive from it. God, there, there's some here today I know that just need to be encouraged. Life has been pushing them down. The enemy has been warring against them. And God, they don't know which way to turn anymore. Their life is hard and they don't see a way out. But God, you have a plan. You have a plan that includes in it the place where they are right now. God, might they sanctify their threshing floor. God, build an altar there and dedicate that to you because they know that you're removing from their life the things that don't belong so you can turn them in to a great and mighty warrior. Father, bless this time of invitation. God, bless this altar. God, as, as we come forward and God, we, we recognize the gift that is in us and make a commitment here today that God, we know that the enemy is fighting us, but you've told us we are somebody in your kingdom. And God, we want to be that somebody. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the spirit to become all that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103, or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.